the good news is this is not rocket science. Uh, it, this is actually all obtainable things, things you can wrap your heads around on a conceptual level. And then you find guys who are really good at dotting I's and crossing T's who can make all the little stuff happen. But I love the fact that you have been able to conceptualize a business around something as easy to understand as 10 Golden Rules. <laughs> Welcome to the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing podcast, episode number six, featuring an interview with internet legend Jerry Sharoshewski and the 10 leading strategies for search engine optimization. Welcome to the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing Podcast, featuring the latest strategies and techniques to drive traffic to your website and convert that traffic into sales. Now here's the CEO of 10goldenrules.com, Jay Berkowitz. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you all very much for spending a little bit of time with us on 10 Golden Rules. We're trying something new today. It's uh, an office cast. I'm coming to you from the uh, 10 Golden Rules offices. Normally, I'm uh, doing this from the home office. So uh, we'll get into some really fun stuff. We were up in New York last week, and I was able to sit down with internet legend Jerry Sharashewski. Jerry was formerly a partner of Seth Godin at Yo-Yo Dine and spent nine years with Yahoo after they sold that company to Yahoo. And he's the new CEO of our client, Grandparents.com. So, very interesting um, time that we spent with Jerry. We'll share that with you later in the podcast. Also, as promised in a couple earlier shows, we're going to cover how to optimize your website to get picked up in the search engines. And um, we, we will definitely cover 10 steps for search engine optimization. In our Live from the Blog segment, Jeff goes to search engine land, Catherine's covering 1UP Web, DJ's fishing for link bait, and Margie has some exciting news from Comedian 2.0, Dane Cook. If you haven't listened to previous episodes of this podcast, we were recently selected for listing in iTunes. So you can listen to all of our past episodes of the show on iTunes, or you can register for a subscription. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe at iTunes, uh, search the show at 10goldenrules.com, or sorry, search 10 Golden Rules in iTunes on the iStore. And each week, the new show will be added to your iTunes and your iPod. It's really easy, even though I can't explain it. I, I promise it's, it's easy to do. We also have a free download of all the shows available at podcast.10goldenrules.com or go to 10 Golden Rules and click on the podcast link. How did you hear about this podcast? I'm very interested to get some feedback from you. What... Um, you know, where did you hear about the 10 Golden Rules podcast? Give us a call in. We, we love interactivity. Um, call in to 206-888-6606. You'll hear a couple call-ins in a minute, and it's really easy. Just call that number, and the system will digitize your voice, and then we can play it on this podcast. Uh, or please email us as well at podcast at 10goldenrules.com. That's podcast at number 10 goldenrules.com. We're also looking for intros. We'd love some uh, community-generated content. So if you if you want to come up with an audio intro for the 10 list or an audio intro for the live from the blog section, we'd love other people to make uh, their mark on this podcast and be a part of what we're doing. Now, before we get into the content, a quick word from our sponsor. 
Silverpop is a leading provider of permission-based email marketing solutions, offering sophisticated and powerful products tailored to each client's unique needs. Silverpop is your partner for email marketing success. Please visit www.silverpop.com for a free product demonstration. Uh, this is Tim Westergren, the founder of Pandora. You're listening to Jay Berkowitz and the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing Podcast. So next up is our call-in section. Let's get right into that. Here's a call-in from Michael Lang. Hey, Jay, this is Mike Lang of the Lang Report, and I just had something really interesting come across my desk here uh, out of your office. It's uh, the uh, TGR Internet Performance Rating Chart that uh, that you put together. It's pretty comprehensive and pretty impressive, and it should be interesting to watch as this thing uh, develops and unfolds. Uh, see, you got a whole different, uh, the, the various candidates across the top with all the ratings and the various search engines and what they're doing, and uh, looks like we got uh, Obama in the lead for now with uh, Clinton and Edwards uh, following behind. Uh, looks like McCain's uh, hanging in there, but I don't expect too much too much from him, not on the Internet. I don't know if you saw his uh, iPod list that he published. Uh, it had the Marine Corps him and a couple other things, and very patriotic but not very trendy. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what happens also with these search engines. Uh, I see you got some of the top ones here, but... Uh, I've been hearing about a lot of new ones that come across uh, uh, my desk all the time uh, and uh, ones that I never heard of the day before. So, and it looks like uh, there's going to be some winners in the future. We have some dig-like uh, sites, uh, some technology-like sites, and some that are focused on video and audio. And I'm sure a lot of people in your audience know what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, I'd like to... To, to hear some of the other opinions that some of your your people have on on these sites and if they've had any experience with them, uh, I'm always looking for hot new search engines and looking to be the first on my block to to participate so I can get an early start and kind of catch the catch the wave before it passes me by. So uh, that's what I got today. Uh, uh, you know, please stop by and see me at the at the Lang Report. www. the Lang Report. L A N G Report. Uh, we cover a lot of political and uh, pretty controversial topics, and I invite any comments, good, bad, and different. Uh, all we're looking to do is uh, get a discussion going and see if we can arrive at some solutions. Thanks. Have a great day. Bye. Well, thank you very much, Michael. Thanks for participating. What Michael was referring to off the top of his comment was our analysis of the 2008 U.S. presidential election and we declared the winner of the best internet marketing performance um, and we did that in episode four of the podcast so if you want to hear that you can look that up um, on our website and listen to episode four or there's uh, the chart he was talking about is on our blog posting and a press release we did we looked at a number of key criteria including online buzz search engine performance emails and we picked a winner of the internet marketing wars so um, we'll, put, we'll put a link in the show notes, and you can hear the show on iTunes by uh, searching for episode number four or finding it on our website. So the other question Michael asked was about search engines. And the big three are still dominating in terms of the percentage of overall searches. And that's Google, Yahoo, and MSN. And MSN's actually up about 2% on the last research I saw to about 12.5% of all searches. 
Google, of course, is in the dominant position. And uh, another up-and-comer is Ask.com, A-S-K, Ask, uh, owned by Barry Diller at IAC, who also owns Ticketmaster, HSN, LendingTree, Match.com. They're up to about 6% of overall searches, and a lot of that is being driven by the creative TV advertising they're doing. The latest campaign I thought was quite, quite innovative, and it was positioning the search engine as a more effective way to search because they have blog entries and news entries on the main search results page. One of the real new buzz uh, up-and-coming search engines that we've been hearing about is something called Mahalo.com. That's M-A-H-A-L-O, which is um, like uh, hello or thank you in Hawaiian. And I first heard of Mahalo on a Twitter note or a tweet from Jason Calacanis. And Jason's the founder of Mahalo, and he was on, uh, he's on my Twitter friends list. And so I saw his update when he launched the, the site about three or four weeks ago. Uh, Calacanis became uh, sort of a prominent internet marketer when he sold Weblogs Inc. to AOL about two years ago for somewhere between 25 and 80 million dollars. It depends on which story you read. The principle of Mahalo is that they use people to build better search results than Google and the other automated search engines can. So Jason's position is that the search engine optimizers can trick the search engines, but you can't trick real people. And so they're, they're, they're setting out to build about 15,000 search results pages manually, uh, by hand, by their search experts. And that covers about 30% of all searches. So they're really targeting the top um, 15,000 search terms. There's an article on Jason and Mahalo in the September 2007 edition of Fast Company magazine. It's a good read. Uh, I recommend you check that out. Next up, I want to cover an email we got from A. Silken. And his question was, what do I think about advertising on social networks when you can't control what appears next to your ad? And in order to cover this topic, I'm going to uh, refer to a blog, uh, sorry, a podcast I recently, recently listened to. And this is going to be a new, recurring a new recurring feature on the 10 Golden Rules podcast. We are going to feature a blog or a podcast that jumps out at us every week. We're going to talk about um, you know, either someone's blog post that was very interesting or we'll play a podcast segment that was great. And uh, there's two guys named Shell Holtz and Neville Hobson. They have a fantastic podcast called For Immediate Release. They have a blog of the same name. And they covered this topic really, really well. Uh, there was a lot of news coverage about Facebook in the UK losing a number of advertisers. So let me give you a sampling of Shell and Neville and For Immediate Release. This is episode number 264 on Monday, August the 6th, 2007. This is Neville Hobson coming to you from Woking and Berkshire in England. And this is Shell Holtz coming to you from Concord, California. Well, you just can't review your feeds these days without seeing news about Facebook. And uh, the news is interesting these days. A number of advertisers in the UK have withdrawn their advertising from Facebook because those ads are showing up on the profiles and groups of places they would rather not be seen or associated with. Among the companies to withdraw their advertising, First Direct, Vodafone, Virgin Media, the AA. Uh, I'm not quite sure what that is, Neville, in the UK. That, that is the Automobile Association. Ah, AAA over here. 
That's uh, what you call it there, right? Yeah, Halifax. Uh, again, I'm not sure in the UK. Financial, financial? financial institution. Okay, and mm-hmm. certainly the Prudential is financial. All of them have taken their advertising away from Facebook because those ads were being displayed on the page of the British National Party. Now, as I understand it, and you can probably illuminate me a little more, this is an extreme right-wing party? Yeah, basically, yep. Okay. Well, the way Facebook works is that so you get an ad. Shell Holtz uh, and Neville Hobson, and just... um, very, very well-regarded internet marketers uh, with, a, with a strong leaning towards public relations, uh, very leading-edge new media guys, highly recommend the podcast called For Immediate Release. It goes by FIR in the uh, sort of internet buzz, and um, they will be our blog or podcast of the week. Next up, we have a call-in from John Bejarano. Let me get to that. Hey, Jay, it's John Bejarano from ROI Makers. I have a question for you. I've been listening to your podcast. I like what I hear, and wanted to know if you could talk a little bit more about SEO and how you could get up uh, higher on the page rankings. Thanks. Well, thanks a lot, John. Thanks for calling in. And so without further ado, here are 10 strategies to optimize your website for the search engines. And... You need to know, first of all, that there's two different pieces to search engine optimization. Number one is your on-page factors, things that you can do, things you can control on your site and on your web pages. The second piece, and and perhaps equally or more important, is off-page factors. So I'm going to cover the on-page factors, things you can do on your website, and please don't disregard the 10th tip where we're going to talk about all the things you can do to increase your off-page factors. So step number one is evaluation. You want to find out where you stand just by doing searches for main keyword phrases that people would search for to look for your products and services. Differentiate between the paid results on the right-hand side or the top, the sponsored listings of a search result, and the free results. What we're talking about is optimizing to come up in the free area below or to the left-hand side of the paid sponsored links. So have a look at Google and Yahoo and MSN and Ask.com and maybe even have a peek at Mahalo and find out which phrases you're coming up on in the search engines and how you're doing relative to your competitors. There are a number of tools. So step number two will be to use some free tools to evaluate your site performance. And this is a new one that we've recently discovered. We absolutely love it. It's called SEO Digger, D-I-G-G-E-R, so S-E-O-D-I-G-G-E-R.com. You should definitely register with them. Give them your um, email and a password. And then you get a full set of results. And it will show you, um, again, it's a free tool. It's a, it's a nice tool. It's not perfect. But it will show you how many of the uh, uh, results you get on search engine listings and exactly what those results are. So which phrases are coming up for you in the search engine. And you can do a comparison between yourself and some of your main competitors. The other piece you want to look at is how many sites are linking to your site. This is the off-page factors that I mentioned earlier. How many other sites are linking to your site? And the best way to do that is go to AltaVista, the old prominent search engine. Still does a nice job at representing links. So go to altavista.com and type in link, L-I-N-K, colon, www.yoursite.com. Now, don't type in your site. You have to type in, you know, 10goldenrules.com or whatever your site address is. 
and that will show you how many other sites link to your site. Step number three is you have to make sure your code is clean and absolutely under no circumstances can you have a flash website. A flash website are those fancy websites that spin and move and groove and have pictures and, and, and audio. But you can't have a flash website because uh, flash can't be read very well by the search engines and most times it will see the flash and stop there and not read a single word on your website. In terms of clean code, you basically just, um, you know, this is getting very technical, but if you think you have a problem, we'll be happy to look at, for, at, you, at it for you. But your code can't be convoluted. The search engine spider has to get through it easily. You can't have nested tables or errors or external scripts or document type de declaration that, that doesn't work for the search engine. So again, this is very technical, but the key thing is no flash. And if you think you have a lot of pages on your site and a lot of links to your site and you're not getting the results you should be getting, have a specialist look at it or get in touch with us and we'll have a look at your code for you. Step number four, and this is often overlooked, Make sure you have a sitemap link on your home page. A sitemap link is one of the first things the search engine spiders look for when they come to your website. And they will follow that link and the sitemap is going to map out all the pages on your website and give them a nice clean link to the different pages on your website. So step four, a sitemap link. Step five, do your keyword research. Now you want to start looking at adding content, adding words to your website. So when people search for the words that describe your products, your services, your industry, you want to make sure you have the right words the way people are searching them for on your website. Now Yahoo for many years has offered a free tool. It's available at http colon slash slash inventory dot overture dot com. That's inventory dot o-v-e-r-t-u-r-e dot com. And if you put in a keyword phrase, like if I put in marketing, it shows me all the different terms that people search that include the word marketing. So very quickly, you can build a profile of the phrases that people are searching for to look for your products and services. Unfortunately, that overture tool is, has been discontinued and it is not being updated uh, as of January of this year. But it's still a good tool. It's still a great way to get a snapshot about your industry. Now, if you're doing this professionally, you definitely want to use a couple of the paid tools, uh, or at least one of them, Word Tracker or Keyword Discovery. And these tools will tell you not only how many people search at each of the different terms, and, and they have a lot of automated ways to generate long lists of keyword phrases for your industry. Um, so first of all, they'll tell you the number of searches. They'll also tell you how many other websites are competing for those phrases. So step number five, do your keyword research. Step number six, select three phrases for each page. So you don't want to try and, if, say your keyword research, you come up with 500 phrases. You don't want to try and cram those 500 phrases all onto your homepage. What you want to do is spread out your most important phrases throughout your website. So let's say, for example, you have a 50-page website. You want to select three phrases for each page on your website. And you want to repeat, repeat those three phrases two to three times on each page that you're targeting for those phrases. So the way it works is you have a 50-page website. You target three phrases. You're going to be targeting 150 phrases, 150 different phrases throughout your web, website. Um, each, each page should have between 250 and 1,000 words. So you're going to be repeating those two or three phrases two or three times each 
amongst a mix of 250 to 1,000 words. Step number seven is you've got to properly utilize your meta tags and incorporate your keywords in your meta tags. Now, we're getting a little bit more technical here. This is sort of like a webmaster question if, if you don't know what meta tags are. But it's very easy to see your title tag in your code. You just go up to the top of your browser, click on view, and click on source. So if you click view and source, you will see the HTML code on your website. And when you see something that says title, and there's you know a couple um, arrows on either side of it, but ignore that. So where you see title, and then you see some words, and then you see title, that is your title meta tag. And you want to make sure you're incorporating the keyword phrases that you're targeting on the page in your title, description, and keywords meta tags. The other title that's very important is the H1 and the H2 tag. These are basically um, paragraph headers or subject headers on the page. You want to include some of your keyword phrases in your H1 tag and your H2 tag. Step number eight is to describe all of your photos and video on the page. Every image and video on the page is an opportunity to introduce keywords. Use your alt text tab to properly name the images and to name videos on the page. This is becoming an increasingly important area in search engine optimization. Step number nine, you want to develop the links, the text links on your site. Those blue underlined links and keyword phrases on your home page and on other pages on your website that link internally to other pages on your website are a very good way to tell Google what phrases are important. So for example if we had a, a link on our home page that was called internet advertising and we linked from our home page, the 10 Golden Rules home page, to one of our internal pages that was the internet advertising page that would be a good way to tell Google that, that phrase is important and link to that page that will be featuring the words internet advertising and the final step the tenth step is to build links to your site so step number nine was about the internal links on your site step ten is about what we called earlier off-page factors other sites linking to your site a critical critical component of search engine success you need a lot of other sites, you need important sites, relevant sites, and industry sites linking to your site. So how do you go about that? The first thing you can do is get listed in the directories. The Yahoo directory, business directories, different directories about your industry. You want to make sure that you're listed on those directories and there's a live blue link to your website. You can get um, a number of links through what's called article syndication. There's a website called ezinearticles.com. They are the 576th ranked site in the world on Alexa. That means they're in the top 1,000 websites in terms of traffic. Very, very important, highly ranked site. And they will take your articles that you submit to them and make them available free of charge to other websites. By doing that, at the bottom of your article, put a link to your website when you describe yourself as the author of that article. Uh, Tap into all of your existing business relationships, any associations, chambers of commerce, any suppliers, any business partners. Ask them for a link to your website. Another hot trend is something called link bait. Essentially what you do is you come up with something fantastic on your website, a research study, a white paper, and people link to your website in order to refer to that tremendous um, study or research paper that you've made available free of charge on your website. You can use traditional public relations and web optimized public relations 
Make sure every time your company is featured or mentioned, you include the full URL name www.addressofyourwebsite.com. And finally, there's some Web 2.0 tactics. You can go out and build a MySpace page, a Wikipedia page, a Dig Story, a Delicious uh, tag, or a, or a Squidoo page. We've talked about Squidoo in a previous uh, edition of the show. And link to your website through those Web 2.0 sites. So, without further ado, a review here quickly. The 10 tips for search engine optimization. Step number one. Go to the basic websites, do a search, find out where you stand relative to your competitor. Step number two, use some tools such as SEO Digger and the link colon tab uh, to find out how your site's performing versus your competitors on search phrases and links to your site. Step number three, make sure your code is clean and get rid of that flash website. Step number four, make sure you have a sitemap link on your site uh, easily available for the search engine spiders. Step number five, do your keyword research. Select three phrases for each page and use those three phrases two or three times on each page on your website. Step number seven, use the meta tags and h1 tags to incorporate the keyword phrases on your pages. Step number eight, describe the photos and video using the keyword phrases that you're targeting on the page. Step number nine, develop your on-site links, the internal links that go to internal pages on your site. And the final step, number 10, build external links to your site through PR, article distribution, and directories. Okay, next up is our Live from the Blog segment. And we'd love your participation. We'd love a, a, some kind of musical or recorded intro for the live from the blog section. We'd love to see what you guys have to offer. So um, here we go with live from the blog, the team at 10 Golden Rules recording their blog posts from the week. This is Jeff. Danny Sullivan's search engine land just reported that Google recently added the word excessive to their webmaster guidelines page. The Google webmaster guidelines are pages designed to help webmasters get better SEO results. As everyone should be aware, your site's ranking in Google search results is partly based on the analysis of those sites that link to you. The better quality of sites, the relevance of these sites, and the number of sites that link to you can help you rank higher in the search results. The quantity, quality, and relevance of links count towards your ratings. But Google is now saying excessive links will hurt your natural rankings. The obvious question is, what is excessive? Dictionary.com defines excessive as going beyond the usual, necessary, or proper limit or degree characterized by excess. Well, besides the defining of a word within a word, that is pretty vague. It will be interesting to see how Google is defining excessive in the search results over the coming months. Hi, this is Catherine, and recently I found a search engine optimization research study that shows that the top internet retailers are failing at SEO. 1UP Web's Internet Retailer Study 2007 looked up the SEO efforts of the top 100 retailers as rated by Internet Retailer Magazine. After examining keywords, titles, meta tags, site architecture, and other items related to a site's spider ability, 1UP Web found that 61% of the top Internet retailers were nominally optimized or showed no signs of search engine optimization at all. Examples of top retailers that are failing at SEO include Sears, Costco, Avon, Barnes & Noble, and Toys R Us.
So why are the top internet retailers failing at search engine optimization? I think it's a combination of corporate executives who have little to no understanding of search and that many traditional marketing agencies still ignore the search opportunities. But let me know your thoughts. Call 1-206-888-6606 and leave your comments about why the top internet retailers are failing at SEO. Hi everybody, this is Michael, and I'd like to talk about an experience that I had this past weekend when I was on break from my MBA class and decided to jump on the internet to do some research for a few clients. I noticed that they didn't have a network connection, so I started to run diagnostic tests, resets, and rebooted my machine about five times. That's what everybody says to do anyway. I have a Dell Inspirion that's about two years old. When I went home and I tried to connect, I was having the same problem. Nothing absolutely worked. I came into the office on Monday and still couldn't connect to my network. So I decided to call Dell, who walked me through two hours of testing, retesting, and then finally the gentleman told me that he had uh, it had to be my hard drive and he was going to send out another one. The computer is still under the warranty. I asked if it could have been the network card and he said no, it has to be the hard drive. Your computer is giving me the results of a system failure and this is what it has to be. So I, said, so I reluctantly agreed and at that time I asked, well what could have caused this problem? And with that he responded, the computer was being used too much. Uh, I'm sorry, was I supposed to buy the computer to take up shelf space? In the end, about three days later, it was the network card that needed to be replaced. Do customer service agents really listen to the customers at all? Do they have a screen in front of them that just tells them what to do? Do they think we enjoy talking, taking the time out of our day to talk to them about problems that we're having? At CartoonStock.com, I found some of the most hilarious jokes regarding customer service and how we are, head, how we are handled when we, are, when we have these issues. Let me know what some of the funniest responses you have had from customer service. I'd really like to hear them. Hi, it's DJ. My topic today is link bait. This is a term that has recently become a popular way to describe something you create on your blog or website that people will link to from their website. Links from other websites make your website more important in Google and the other search engines, and the more links you have, the higher your site ranks in searches. Here are some ideas for creating link bait for your blog or website. Information such as rare tips or personal experience through which readers can benefit, breaking news, humor, that tell a funny story or a joke, or use a funny cartoon can also create link bait. Controversy is always worth lots of links. Saying something unpopular or controversial may yield a lot of attention. Some examples of link bait for consumer sites include offering free how-to guides, free music, or free graphics such as a wallpaper people can add to their desktop. Business link bait includes white papers that offer cutting-edge insight in a particular industry or a new study or research where you share the research results. Creating a widget on your site that people can download works in business or consumer sites. Hi, it's Margie. I admit it, I'm a fan. So last week when I received an email from Dane Cook, I was pretty excited. Over the years, he's taken a very grassroots approach to marketing himself, as many stand-up comedians do. But he had a slight advantage in that his timing was perfect, perfect for the internet. The viral and community-based nature of the Internet allowed him to reach many more people than any traditional method could, and right on the heels of his start came a website called MySpace. Dane Cook has used MySpace to its fullest, and for proof, his email included the bold statement, 2 million friends on MySpace. 
Dane's email went on to say, when I try to wrap my head around two million people, it's just not that easy. Did you know that if this were a city, we would actually be the fifth largest in the USA? That's right, New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Houston, and then us. We're even bigger than my hometown of Boston. We should try and think of names for this city of ours. Any suggestions? The mind does stagger when you think of that many people wanting to be your friend. But with a simple formula and good execution, anyone can do it. So there you go, Dane Cook, undisputed king of MySpace. Sufi. Okay, so next up, our final segment before the song is our interview with Jerry Sharashewski. I first met Jerry about three years ago when he spoke as a keynote for a group, we, uh, a meeting we put together for the American Marketing Association, the Direct Marketing Association, and the South Florida Inter Internet Marketing Association. And Jerry's topic was uh, something he calls getting to maybe, and we'll talk a little bit about that theory in, in this interview. So uh, without further ado, let's uh, let it roll. Here's Jerry Sharashewski. It's like an interview. Like yeah. Actually, give me one second here and we'll get rolling. That mode where uh, I can talk to somebody like you without having three corporate PR people hovering in the background. <laughs> I uh, know. I got nixed on a great interview last week because of the PR people. Uh, it's the nice part yeah. about not being public. I can talk yeah. to anybody I want. And... Uh, it, it, it's a huge amount of fun, actually, being back in uh, in a place where your individual efforts can have a demonstrable impact right away. I can do something, and I can see its impact happen, and I can say, that was good, or, oh, shit, what did I do? Let's not do that <laughs> one again. And that's really hard to do in a Jagundis corporation. Um, so I'm real, real pleased. Uh, a lot of people... Uh, ask me if my departure from Yahoo had anything to do with uh, Terry Semmel's departure or Wendell Millard's departure, and the answer is absolutely not. Uh, I actually had resigned uh, significantly earlier than either of those two announcements uh, in my sort of normal way of doing business. I wanted to tell them that I was leaving and that I was happy to stay for as long as they thought it was necessary for me to affect a, a, an easy transmission of, of all the stuff that was on my plate. Uh, and uh, so I went off to Cannes uh, to do a lot of the things that were on my plate. And while there, the news of Terry's departure <laughs> came. So we decided at that point that we would just even keep more quiet about my departure until all of that stuff went away because they weren't connected. Uh, I love that company. They're a terrific bunch of people and uh, didn't want to do anything that would cause bad press. You had the greatest title at Yahoo. Thank you. As far as title goes, you got a boring old title now, CEO, right? like lots of other people have. What was your title and, and what did it mean and what did you do at Yahoo? Well, what it meant was, what the title was, was uh, Ambassador Plenipotentiary to Madison Avenue. And uh, the title comes from uh, uh, three things. First of all, why did I have a strange title? I had a strange title because I needed a strange title. Uh, Yahoo, as a company, were not great believers in the value of titles. And so almost nobody had a good title until you got to Terry. Uh, they had a sort of an engineering culture that did not really 
understand deeply that titles are external signifiers. Uh, it's like why generals wear all that stuff on their uniforms so that other people will know that they're generals. Uh, my job was to m market Yahoo as a media property to the advertising industry. And my customer base were CEOs and presidents and media directors and creative directors, all of whom have gatekeeper secretaries and none of whom want to let somebody in to talk to their CEO boss who isn't a CEO. So I needed a title that my people at Yahoo could feel comfortable with me having. I mean, I couldn't just call myself executive vice president because I wasn't. Uh, but I needed one that would intimidate any assistant uh, to let me through until he or she got to know me. And it seemed like it would be fun to have a nice title. Yeah, it's fun to have a fun title. And the Internet's had some really fun titles. I want to I want to move into your, your new gig, and you know, in terms of full disclosure, we've had the the good fortune of working this with this company for about a year now, and helping develop some of the strategies. And we haven't said the name, so I'll let you say uh, grandparents.com. And uh, what excited you about this opportunity, and and uh, what what what's excited you since you've been here? Well, the the opportunity was a really straightforward one. Um, since about 1945. No one has lost money by betting on the baby boom. Uh, yeah, it's true. Yeah. just that dumb and simple. This is the largest, richest, best educated generation in the country. And it is, you know, once you get past basic demographics like male, female, it is the largest demographic group, identifiable cohort that there is. Uh, those folks who were born between 1945 or 1946 and 1964 represent a pivotal, pivotal and game-changing generation. Uh, if you uh, go back, uh, certainly I remember when I hit grammar school, I was in split session. And I was in split session until I was in fifth grade because it took that long for the school systems to catch up. We got to, to college and our generation somehow decided that these blue denim work pants that carpenters wore were something called <laughs> high fashion. And it made Levi Strauss and company into a global brand. Uh, we were the first generation to have personal music. And as soon as that happened, we changed the world again, starting with you know Elvis Presley and working our way all the way to you know Santana and, uh, and, and beyond. So this generation is a very wonderful marketing target. One that Madison Avenue has unfortunately not paid much attention to for a while. I saw the opportunity to work with and on behalf of a group of people who were coming into a new stage in their lives. They had been split session grammar school students. They had been you know, high school students in overcrowded schools. They had been university students making the revolution. Uh, they had hit the job market and were blown away because there were not nearly enough holes for them to fit into. They have now come to the their their middle years, 40, 50, 60. They are all working and productive, highly educated, totally computer literate, and they are beginning to become grandparents. And it's really interesting because grandparenting is, again, a game-changing scenario. 
There was just an interview with uh, Sumner Redstone last week in the Wall Street Journal, and they asked Sumner what he wanted to be remembered for, and he said, being a damn good <laughs> grandfather. That's great. There is a video clip of Nancy Pelosi, who had just been uh, elevated to Speaker of the House, and she said, Speaker of the House, Speaker of the House, my favorite title is Grandma. <laughs> it, it, is, it is an identifier. The interesting part of being a grandparent, however, is that there's no user's manual. You know, you're a parent, and you know how totally inadequate you felt as a young parent. And then you do whatever it is you do, and you come to the end of some period of time when your kids hit their 20s, and they are who, they, who you made them into. Not much you can do about it at that point. And then suddenly one of them presents you with a grandchild. And that's an amazing thing. Grandparent relationships is, are... Is, uh, 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 keep that thought in a minute, but is, is grandparents.com... Is it going to be a user user manual for grandparents? Oh, I think so. And it's a life it's a lifestyle publication or a lifestyle website. It's about living that life of intimacy with your grandchildren, even at a distance. The web enables so many things, and we are going to be a very content rich site. We're also going to be a highly interactive site with lots of user-generated content. We're going to be giving grandparents access to information and access to other grandparents who can exchange ideas, recipes, uh, family traditions. Uh, a large part of what grandparenting is about is about instilling a legacy. It's about transmission. We talked about earlier earlier today in some of the meetings we were in about uh, a term you used at a presentation I saw a couple of years ago, and your term was getting to maybe. Right. And I want you to expand on that. There's a, a similar term we, we use or a similar philosophy. One of the ten golden rules is to create a UVP, a unique value proposition, something on the site that's you know free of charge that will engage people in a two-way relationship when they come to your website. How, how are we going to get to maybe with, with these grandparents, this new generation? Well, I don't think it's going to be very hard. Let me start with the concept of getting to maybe. Thank you. Uh, getting to maybe is really about helping marketers understand that in, in a medium where dialogue is really easy, and if you do it right, free, free, that going for a yes, going for a commitment on the first date is not necessarily the smartest move that you can make. Uh, when confronted with a yes or no proposition, most people will take no because it's easier and safer. They're not sure why they should say yes. And I've been trying for a number of years without, I must say, a huge amount of success to encourage marketers and especially people who are in their heart direct marketers, people who really understand the, the, the dialogue value, to get beyond the cost per order and get into the cost per unit of permission. Because getting permission... Cost to per unit of permission. I yeah. Like that. I like that a lot. Permission is the asset that enables business to happen. If you are really lucky and you get permission at the first meeting, that's terrific. But how many sales calls do you go on where you don't get a yes and what you don't want is a no? So my answer to that is don't go for a yes, go for a maybe. 
Can I get back to you and show you other ways that this could benefit you? Yeah, I guess we could do that. I mean, if, you know, <laughs> does it cost me anything? No, I'll take two. Now, once you open that door for dialogue, then there is a natural progression towards yes. And in fact, going to no is like backing up. It's harder. But unfortunately, most marketers are still all hung up with the instant sale. Yeah. And Yeah, the Internet's so much about that, that getting to maybe or the unique value proposition. Let me Something take this free. a step further, if you will. Sure. Think about the most precious commodity that there is in the marketing world today. Health. Attention. <laughs> Attention. Right? We are... We have gone from having three television networks to five, six, seven, eight, nine, from having eight or nine stations on our uh, on our click dial to having three or four hundred. Uh, we have a bedrillion internet sites, thirty bedrillion uh, blogs and schmogs and fogs and, and podcasts and <laughs> podcasts. How much time do you have? The last time I looked, it's still twenty four hours a day, yeah. and it doesn't get any easier. We used to have a few people shouting at us and holding up signs for us to look at called advertising. Now we have a bedrillion people doing that. The most valuable thing for a marketer is someone willing to give you attention. And what's the standard answer that most marketers have today? Talk louder. Uh, talking louder doesn't help. You've got to establish the permission to have a dialogue because once permission has been granted you don't have to talk loudly at all I know we, we talked about this as well that you were um, you were there right by Seth Godin's side when he wrote Permission Marketing was that his first that was his first that book, was right? his first self-written book first self-written book yeah talk, talk a little bit about Permission Marketing and, and the Seth Godin relationship if you will because I read his blog and I'm a read six or seven of the books. So. Seth uh, had a company, uh, a startup in 1995 uh, called Yo-Yo Dine Entertainment, and he had a belief. And his belief was that the content called game shows were going to be the transforming content for the internet, just as they had been for television and radio before that. Cheap to produce, exciting, and terribly involving. And so his notion was that Yo-Yo Dine Entertainment would become the Mark Goodson, Bill Todman of, or the Merv Griffin, may he rest in peace, yeah. of, uh, of the Internet. When Seth met me, I'm a marketing guy. I don't know from content. What I knew is that the mechanism that Seth had set up, which was question, answer, acknowledgement of receipt of answer, correct answer, and then standing, that, that five-part-per-week dialogue was a direct marketer's orgasmic dream. <laughs> that something that we had played with when I was at Wonderman many years ago, which we called curriculum marketing, which was only available to brands with enormous budgets and enormous allowables, like an automotive guy, the notion of teaching someone your value proposition slowly and over time was an astounding thing. I suddenly came face to face with a guy who accidentally had created a mechanism to do just that. And I said to him, 
you know, it's really interesting that you've got this game show. I was a VP at Bertelsmann at the time, and he was trying to sell me participation in his game shows to hypo records or something. And I started talking to him about what I saw lurking inside that. I had scheduled 30 minutes on my calendar for Seth. An hour and a half later, <laughs> he turned to me and said, would it be rude if I offered you a job? <laughs> That's great. So, you know, two weeks later, I gave notice and uh, went to work for Seth as employee number whatever, eight or something, at Yo-Yo Dine Entertainment, the name of which we quickly changed to Yo-Yo Dine. Yeah. Has, uh, have you been following Squidoo and uh, Seth's latest venture? Totally, totally. Uh, I try to have dinner with Seth at least once every four or five weeks, and uh, we talk a great deal, and I don't do anything really serious without bouncing it off of him. Uh, he's an amazing, amazing, smart, and, and very funny man, and a terrific guy. I really love him. Great. Yeah, we like Squidoo, and we've covered it a little bit on previous podcasts. Um, you, you mentioned another name earlier. I'd love to hear one one story, and then we'll probably wrap up because I know you've got a bunch of stuff on your plate. Uh, Lester Wonderman, you had the um, privilege of working with him, and one of the, the you know foundation foundational people of direct marketing. Lester is an amazing guy. Uh, he is now eighty seven years old and uh, in marvelous health, and uh, just a terrific man. Uh, Lester. Uh, I worked for him for, I don't know, 1985 to 1990, 1984 to 1990, six years. And uh, I used to jot down things that he would say. And I kept them in a little book, which I still have at home. Yeah. I call it fondly quotations of Chairman Lester. Uh, and wave it around like a little red book. But um, Lester had an instinct for how people and businesses interacted. Uh, the most astounding day that I ever spent with him, uh, I had called him because I met him internally at YNR, and I called him and I said, look, I had this idea that we could sell coffee by subscription. And there was a dead silence on the other end of the phone. He said, coffee by subscription? When can you be in my office? <laughs> and uh, I had been working at YNR, and I was working... Uh, on General Foods business, may it rest in peace, and uh, my boss came to me and said, the Swedish coffee company wants to enter the U.S. market, and they've tried this, and they've tried that, and they've tried the other thing without a lot of success, so take a shot at it, don't waste too much money, and don't offend anybody too badly. Uh, I looked at their business and concluded at that time, which was 1981 or 82, that there was no real market for, quote, gourmet coffee uh, in the retail channel in the United States. And that it was unlikely that General Foods was going to come up with the money to build that kind of business and take the time to build that kind of business through channels like Walmart and Kroger's and whatnot. And I was at a loss for what to do. And then one morning I... I was living in an apartment in New York, and I opened the door to my apartment and bent down and picked up the newspaper, which was delivered right there to my doormat. And I said, shit, I wonder if I could sell coffee by subscription. Well, I knew nothing about direct marketing, but I knew Lester Wonderman. So I called Lester and went up to his office. It's a pretty good place to start. It's a real good place <laughs> to start. In four and a half hours, 
a group of four of us banged out the entire story. We figured out the business model. Uh, Lester had an insight, and, and the insight was he heats his home with oil, but he never orders any oil. He has a, a contract to keep his tank filled. And the, tank, the oil goes in, it goes into the furnace, it burns, and then they go come back and fill it up again. Coffee works the same way. It is a consumable. So if we could and it's just arrange, as necessary for most of us. Just as necessary. <laughs> so we, Lester saw that if we could make a, a ship till forbid, which is what he called it, uh, an automatic replenishment uh, contract, that we were alley alley home free. And then we, that was like 85% of the issue. How do we sell this stuff? Uh, is it a subscription? Is it a of the month club? Is it a, and the answer was, keep me, keep me caffeinated. Then we needed a positioning that would justify a price three and a half times higher than Maxwell House and, and, and the other supermarket brands. Uh, we found it in a piece of paper that I found thumbtacked to a wall in a, a storeroom in Yevle, Sweden. And it was the royal warrant from the, 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 the palace. And I asked the guys what, what is that? that is. And they said, oh, that's so that the palace can buy wholesale. Those are cheap <laughs> bastards. I mean, that's how they looked at it. They didn't see it as, you know, the coffee favored by kings. Uh, they didn't also understand the American fascination with kings. So... That became the, the unique positioning? You betcha. That's awesome. And that afternoon, we had the headline of the ad written. Uh, the magnificent obsession that produced the coffee favored by kings. Then it became an issue of what's the offer and how much and shipping and handling and is there a, a, a free gift? And we worked through all of that over the next bunch of weeks and ran our first test and it blew the socks off of us. Awesome. Um, yeah, we, we've talked a lot about, or I have in presentations and, and podcasts, about the relationship between direct marketing and, and internet marketing. And uh, I wrote a presentation called Why Direct Marketers Make the Best Internet Marketers and gave that presentation at the DMA. And, and, and really that's what this is all about. It's about interacting with your base, measuring everything you do, testing, testing, and then testing again to validify your earlier tests. Let me ask you one one more question, and because uh, I, I know you have a deadline, um, what what websites are you using? What tools are you using on the internet personally, and, and what are some of the cool things we should be looking out for? Well, I'm probably the wrong guy to be asking about cool anything. Uh, <laughs> I am. Uh, uh, it's enough that I can get through my email. It's enough that I use Instant Messenger. I have finally mastered. Uh, you know, uh, Flickr, uh, at least my ability to get pictures up there and, 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 and tagged and whatnot. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I am very jealous of people who have the time that they can invest in that learning curve. Uh, I, I, I was, I, I've seen, Me too. <laughs> you know, I mean, I look at this, things like Second Life, yeah. and I go, whoa, that could, be, that could be a lot of fun if I had the time to do that. Yeah, uh, and I even think about things I could sell on Second Life, um, life insurance policies, and you know it can be really interesting <laughs> yeah. for people who, for avatars. You know, <laughs> what is the actuarial table for an avatar? 
But that's the beauty of Second Life. You don't get sick. You don't need to eat. You don't need to sleep. You but can you need fly. Insurance. <laughs> you need insurance, right? In case somebody should come and smush you. <laughs> Maybe I could be the angel of death. And and, and there's no hospitals in Second Life. You can well, get smushed. And you but if you're smushed, you gotta smush back again. <laughs> well, I don't know. But there's, um, there's got to be some there there. Yeah. I hope so. Uh, the things that that I find really astounding, uh, the change in the internet advertising uh, landscape, the discovery of the power of search, uh, the uh, integration of search uh, and uh, with other forms of, of advertising, using search to bounce things into graphical advertising, using television to bounce things to search. Uh, the recent uh, work that was done by uh, Kellogg Special K is a, is a stellar example of of how you really integrate this stuff. Uh, my biggest issue, especially in the corporate world, is we're still looking at a bunch of silos, and they don't talk to each other very well. Yeah. Well, it was a pleasure sitting down with you, and uh, we look forward to working with you over the next several weeks and months. And thank you very much. Any last thoughts for... Uh um, Ten Golden Rules audience. <laughs> well, the good news is this is not rocket science. Uh, it, this is actually all obtainable things, things you can wrap your heads around on a conceptual level. And then you find guys who are really good at dotting I's and crossing T's who can make all the little stuff happen. But I love the fact that you have been able to conceptualize a business around something as easy to understand as 10 golden rules. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks, Jerry. Well, a big thank you to Jerry Sharashewski, formerly of Yahoo, now of grandparents.com for sitting down with us. Really interesting, interesting gentleman and uh, really great insights into this business and a little bit of the history of the business as well. Uh, our final section is the song of the week. Before I do that, I just want to wrap up and invite you to participate in future versions of the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing podcast, please give us a call at 206-888-6606. Let us know what's on your mind. Promote your podcast. Promote your website. Promote your blog. Get involved in this community. Give us a, give us a recording, an intro for one of the sections. We just love to hear what you got to say and love for you to participate. Um, now we'll wrap up with the song of the week. This is a band based out of New York City. They're called Brother Love. They're very popular on the Podsafe Music Network. They've been played by some of our favorite friends and podcasters, such as C.C. Chapman's Accident Hash, Adam Curry's Daily Source Code. It's, uh, it, there's still a couple weeks of summertime left up north, so uh, let's wrap it up with Brother Love's Summertime. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing podcast. Please send comments and questions to podcast at 10goldenrules.com. That's podcast at 10goldenrules.com. Or use our call-in line 206-888-6606. This podcast is produced with Cast Blaster.